This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, welcome to Redefining Success, the show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their careers and lives, what makes them tick and how they define success. I'm Dashran Johan. Joining me on the show today is Raymond Ram. He's a certified fraud examiner and a certified anti-money laundering specialist. Welcome to the show, Raymond. How are you? Thank you so much for having me today. Now, Raymond, as I mentioned, right, you're a certified fraud examiner, you're a certified anti-money laundering specialist. Now, these are big words um, and, and these are not careers that people are often uh, very familiar with. So what exactly does this mean? What do these jobs entail? I totally get where you're coming from. I mean, uh, many out there are not uh, are not privy to this information of what, what means basically when it comes to uh, these areas of work and I've made it clear that uh, it's a very new field and we continuously try to promote awareness into this field and what we do is basically uh, we focus on prevention, detection and response to fraud, to areas of fraud, corruption or even money laundering, terrorism financing and whatnot, right? And the main areas that we focus on is on training and consulting in, in that sense. Huh? Right. So what we do is uh, for the public sector, we usually focus on training, right? We train uh, auditors, uh, accountants, or the uh, I mean law enforcement officers in the area of how to to better conduct the investigation, how to focus on or advise uh, different different facets of the industry on prevention. Uh, when it comes to the private sector, we get more uh, hands-on. We work on their prevention methods. We, we talk about what the context of their organization is. And from there, we talk about the controls that they have, the type of means, uh, the type of ways that they conduct the investigations, of course, how to respond if something does happen, right? Or if they come to know that they are instances of fraud, they are instances of corruption, what to do next, right? So we provide right. those kind of advice for the private sector. Right. So you are uh, attached to Transparency International Malaysia and you're also the, the managing director, if I'm not mistaken, of Grey Matter Forensic. Could you tell us a little bit about these organizations and the work that you do there? Yeah. So I wear two hats, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the first one, of course, is advocacy and I'm the Secretary General for Transparency International Malaysia. We are a civil society. Right. And of course, this is purely on a voluntary basis and it's because of the passion I have in this particular area. Mm. Uh, the other, when it comes to uh, being the managing director of Grey Matter Forensic Advisory, it's a firm I founded a couple of years back. And the whole idea here, like I said before, create that awareness and, of course, assist organizations towards moving into the right direction. And, of course, we had many new legislation that came about which assisted us to get into organizations because now they understood the, the need for compliance. They understood that uh, they need to look into these areas. And like it or not, organizations are now going to be more global. We have to follow international standards. Right. We have to make sure that we are abiding the law. And these are different uh, reasons why management needs to invest in areas of prevention, in areas of detection. Of course, response is something to happen. Right. So you mentioned passion, right? So I'm very fascinated. Why are you passionate about this particular field, right? Examining fraud, um, dealing in the, you know, with, with uh, monitoring money laundering um, and, and all these kinds of things. Um, why are you passionate about it? Why did you decide to embark on this particular career path? To be honest, um, my, my major in university before is mm-hmm. in psychology. 
right. to be honest, right? And I have been, always been fascinated with criminology, the understanding of the criminal mind, right? Mm. Why individuals do what they do or why do they act deviously, right? So I've always been fascinated in criminology. And when I conducted research during my university days, I found out that in the area of financial crime or white-collar crime per se, there's a lot of gaps, a lot of, uh, a lot of work that needs to be done. There's a lot of focus now being on blue-collar crime, but not much on white-collar crime per se. When right. I say that, I mean fraud, corruption, you know, my laundry money. So I decided to pursue my uh, master's degree, my certifications in this area to make sure I understood the foundation well. And from there, take on the challenges that came along with working with clients to make sure that the companies out there are ready and they know what they're doing and do not get involved either knowingly or unknowingly in this particular area. How do you view your career? Is it something you are passionate about or is it something you do so you can pursue your passions on the side? Uh, to be honest, I, I've learned that there's three facets to, to, to doing anything that you like to do. Right. So to, to be able to wake up in the morning and go and do something that you love, right? Mm -hmm. So passion, competency, and market demand. If you do not have these three facets aligned together, there's no way you can make a career out of it. Right. Right. So I see that there was market demand in that sense where we had, like I said, companies going internationally, getting more global, fitting to international standards, and they need to look into areas of financial crime. Competency is where I develop myself, develop my team as we go along, mm -hmm. make sure that we know we have the right things and we know what we're doing. And of course, we all need to be passionate about this area. It's something new. People will tell you that, hey, you, you can't, you can't make money out of this or you can't get, uh, you can't start up a company in this particular field or right. like that. But if you have the right passion, you will wake up in the morning and you will keep pushing forward. And to be honest, after years of doing this, I've realized that passion puts you on the field, puts you in the race and it, it wakes you up in the morning. So when you have a passion, competency and market demand all aligned together, that's when you will see success. That's when you will see the company growing. And that's where we see going towards uh, moving forward. Right. So how do you define success? And I ask this because this is a, a big picture part of the show. Um, this is what we try to explore, right? That different people may have different ideas of success. Uh, what is your definition of success? My definition of success would be, I mean, what I've repeated a number of times just now, meaning uh, waking up in the morning and doing what you love. It, it's also being able to pay the bills at the end of the day. Right. Doing what you love, right? So because a number of us, we have passion in different areas. All of us have hobbies or passion projects that we work on and things like that. Are you able to get the three facets I mentioned just now? Be able to be competent in what you're doing. Be able to meet market demand. At the same time, you know, create a career out of it. Uh, and when you're able to create a career out of it, and for me, I've been able to start up my own firm in this particular area and try to push things forwards and we are able to pay the bills and we are you know, mm. moving forward. So I, I believe that is success. Success is being able to wake up in the morning, do what you love and continuously grow because we are in an age where you've got to learn, unlearn, relearn. No matter what, we, no matter if we like it or not, right? Every day things are changing. And even in our field, in this particular field, technology is being very fast-paced. You've got to understand what's new out there, what are the tools that we can use, what are the different schemes that are coming out? Uh, what are the, the different concerns of companies? What are different uh, new legislation coming about? 
that keeps us keeps us on our feet, right? Keeps us on our feet, and I believe that that is success. Success is it's doing what you love and being able to grow at the same time. And have you always viewed success this way, or has your definition of success changed over time? Hmm. It changed when we started moving into our careers, right? right. Because when when we were young, success was money, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to buy whatever we want, do whatever we want, I mean, being able to have that, you know, extensive cash lying around but it's not that anymore for me it's just uh, fulfillment uh, like i said i devote my time in cso work i try my best to to grow the company instead of you know, thinking about profits all the time it's about where can the company go further where, where, where is our direction going forward and that keeps me on my feet not how much money you can really make because you for me i believe that you if you have passion money will come no matter what you do Right, no matter what, because the thing is, I've been taught since I was young, uh, especially my father actually, that told me that uh, when I first wanted to go into you know, what degree should I choose, what field should I pursue, he always told me, do what you love, and that will get you where you want to go. Simple as that. Right. Yeah. So, um, you, you brought up about, you know, the direction of your company, because you said these days you're thinking about big picture, not just, you know, how much money you're making. So, yeah. wh- what is that big picture? You do advocacy work. So, between your business and, and what you do um, for Transparency International, the CSO, what are you trying to achieve in this career? What is your goal? For me, is if I'm able to make a small change uh, in where we are, mm. like in the current setting, that would be a big deal for me. And in my CSO work, in my advocacy work, I'm able to do that. We have got laws passed. We have got, uh, uh, we have developed materials for organizations to assist them in those laws that were passed. Uh, like, um, for example, the corporate liability provision that came about in the corruption law, right? Mm-hmm. We actually developed material. I, I was part of uh, four publications last year. And and it's not, and I didn't earn any money out of it, but still, you you get the satisfaction in the in the sense where I know I have made a difference. I have created that that wave of change, and I'm working with companies. And we see now uh, many companies that are looking into focusing in this area, focusing in preventing corruption instead of you know, just go on with business as it was. I'm focusing on preventing money laundering, focusing on preventing uh, a fraud and whatnot. And, and these are things that actually give you satisfaction more than even uh, getting money in that time. Right. So this could be a bit of a, a very macro question, but yeah. it ties into what you just said, right? Because you, you said, you know, ultimately you want to make a difference. You want to make a change based on where we are looking at the landscape, where we are today. You want to push it in a positive direction. Yeah. How would you describe where we are today in Malaysia in relation to what we are discussing now, you know, mm-hmm. fraud, um, you know, corruption, money laundering, yeah. all yeah. these big white collar crimes. How would you describe where Malaysia is today? When it comes to corruption, we are releasing this corruption perceptions index mm-hmm. on 31st of January, right? So that will be mm-hmm. interesting on where Malaysia yeah. is at the moment. And uh, besides that, uh, on a global landscape, we are still below average. Mm-hmm. I would say that. We are still below average in the sense of adoption of international uh, standards that they are out there. Uh, we need to do much more. We need the political will to make the changes at the top. But we also need to change the culture in Malaysia when it comes to fraud, corruption and whatnot, right? Because we still have small companies that think that 
bribery, corruption, it's a small thing, it doesn't affect anyone and it's something that is a way of doing business, but it's not. And they need to start looking at the bigger picture. They need to look at you know, five, ten years down the road, what can happen if they get involved in such activity. Instead of just that one-time thing of winning a project, winning a tender, things like that. On the show with me today is Raymond Ram, Certified Fraud Examiner and a Certified Anti-Money Laundering Specialist. After the break, I asked Raymond how he measures growth. Keep it here on Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Redefining Success. I'm Dashan Johan. And on the show with me today is Raymond Ram, a Certified Fraud Examiner and a Certified Anti-Money Laundering Specialist. So, Raymond, do you think as a society, because you, you mentioned the culture of how businesses are run, do you think people, consumers, um, citizens of, of this country, do you think our mindset towards corruption needs to evolve as well? At least from my vantage point, um, it seems like we don't take it too seriously or as seriously as it should be taken. What are your thoughts on this? I totally agree with you. It, it, it's end of the day, it's stone at the top, right? Mm. If the top are not practicing what they preach, they themselves get involved, then it's like, I mean, let's put it again in organizational context. Uh, right. Country files, we talk about all issues and whatnot. Organizational context, you see, hey, kalau boss boleh buat, I pun boleh buat. Right. If, if my, my, my superior does it, that means it's okay. And we follow suit on the, those, those those things. And many times, not only in Malaysia, right? We see that the penalty or the uh, prosecution, when a person is prosecuted, convicted, the penalty is lower than what they did. Right. right? So the amount that they are fined is much lower than the amount that they have embezzled, for example. Right. Which which is the law? We can't we can't blame mm-hmm. the law and to to tell you the truth. To, to prosecute a case of white-collar crime, it's much, much more harder than blue-collar crime. Mm-hmm. Everyone uh, of us, as citizens, might think, hey, money went into a person, per person's bank account, so it's so easy, hey, he's a politician, sure, it's bribery. It's not that simple. we got to understand who paid the money, where did the money come from, was there a favour that was given in return? You see, you see, there's so many facets to understand, and we got to get evidence for each of the elements that we're talking about. Right. Okay difficult right so like i said uh the laws will slowly change and to be honest it's challenging for legislators as well because technology is another issue technology right. is moving very fast paced you've got crypto coming in you've got blockchain you've got you've got different uh types of uh mechanisms at the moment how, how are you going to govern those right. how are you going to make sure that these uh different technologies are not being abused and if they are being abused how are you going to prosecute them you know, recently, uh, FTX case that came about, right? How, how right. are they prosecute? It is basic fraud. But those assets, are they classified as assets? And then how are legislators going to find evidence uh, on this? Uh, and what is the wrongdoing at the end of the day? You see, all this, we the legislators need to move together with technology. We need to think out of the box at the moment. We have to think of how it's advancing at so fast pace and keep up with it. Absolutely. Now, Raymond, you're talking about a lot of things that people often don't think about, right? We are the nuts and bolts about, you know, white collar crime. Now, what does your day to day look like? Um, what exactly does a certified, um, you know, fraud examiner, certified any anti money laundering specialist? What do you do on a day to day? 
Yeah, so basically we have teams uh, in in the firm where we focus both on training and consultancy, right? Right. So for me, I, I do a, a lot of training for professional bodies, mm. right? For the Institute of Accountants, for Internal Auditors, the, the what call it, Institute of Corporate Governance. We work a lot with them when it comes to training. When it comes to consultancy, it's of course uh, an agreement between us and our clients and we have specific cases to work on, right? So to be honest with you, there's a lot of uh, work now that's coming in on uh, getting companies in Malaysia in, uh, in aligned with the ISO ABMS, that means the anti-bribery management systems. Right. And there is an ISO 37001. A lot of companies are getting aligned with after our corporate liability provision or the anti-corruption law was abandoned. Uh, a lot of companies want to get aligned to it and we are assisting companies to get aligned to it. Because we have to understand that these standards, to adopt these standards, is not one size fits all, right? We've mm -hmm. got to make sure that we understand the context of your organization. So I find a lot of joy in understanding the context, understanding the risk, and how we can now adopt that standard. But right. that, that, that three steps I mentioned to you gives me uh, actually a lot of joy to, 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 to do that because I, I, I like to understand how different companies work and where are the risks, how can they prevent, well, what is the challenges that they face. Talk to the management, talk to the different teams. And sometimes you get different views. You think management says something else. Those in the ground say something else. And then you fit them together. And, and then you bring them, I'm sorry, bring them together. Right. And you try to you know, uh, resolve those issues. So I believe they, 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 uh, what we do, what we do daily, simply, like I said, a lot of training work is being done. Consultancy in those, in those areas where we work with organizations of prevention. We also have investigations that come in. Those are ad hoc. But investigations, when it comes in, it's very time-based. Meaning that, okay, we got an allegation. We got to town find evidence as fast as we can to resolve this issue because you sometimes do not know who is involved and how big is the issue. Right. Uh, so, so the investigation side is very time-based. Consultancy, we have an agreed upon time and we can understand further. And for me, it's just unlearning, relearning what, what we understand. Right. Now, you know, you, you said you've worked on, you know, many investigations and cases. Yeah. Could you share... One of the most exciting or interesting cases you've worked on, and and why was it exciting for you? Um, I mean, to be honest, uh, mm -hmm. we did a we have a fair number of investigations, but the one that actually uh, intrigued me a lot is mm. the uh, an investigation we had where we needed three sets of expertise to come together. Right. When I say three sets of expertise, meaning digital forensics, someone that's able to get into your uh, emails. Uh, get into accounting systems and whatnot, a forensic accountants, and also uh, data scientists. Right. Because we had a lot of analysis to be done. So I had to bring in three partners to work with us on the organization, right? Uh, sorry, on the particular investigation. And it was very interesting that each of them talked different languages. You right. see, accountants talk different language, the mm. digital forensic guys talk different language, <laughs> and then the data scientist now is like, what do I do, <laughs> right? So what do you want me to find? <laughs> so I think that was the, the, those are very interesting investigations because you need this expertise. And to be honest with you, most investigations going forward would need all this expertise, all these three expertise. You would need someone to extract accounting information, financial information from the accounting systems. Those are the digital guys. You need a forensic accountant to go through it. And sometimes you also need a data scientist to analyze further, to look at trends. To give you those charts, to give you those things, right? So, yeah, I, I believe that bringing this expertise together, getting them to talk the same language is often the best part of it. And um, 
yeah, so so that that would be the highlights of of investigation per se. <laughs> uh, but but uh, if you ask me which is the most satisfying one, I mean, mm-hmm. for me, we had done one case and we had prosecuted. We had gone towards prosecution and we right. managed to uh, you know, bring in an expert witness, uh, testify, and the court agreed what we said. This was a procurement issue, right? Common issue. Yep. A lot of private cases coming to the common issue. So and and we managed to get get things through, lah. Even though, to be honest, you, uh, Darshan, right? Mm-hmm. What what happened was at the first meeting of for this investigation, right? We had the person that was the suspect, and uh, we asked him for his phone. His phone was company issued. Okay. He threw his phone to us. He threw threw it at us. I mean, dropped. It was an iPhone. And then when we took it, they had no pin. I mean, of course, it's locked, right? Yeah. I I told asked him, hey, can you give us the pin? He said, no, I forgot. <laughs> and you know how hard you cannot actually crack an iPhone. Yes. <laughs> so it was hilarious, and we actually had to bring in digital forensic guys now and say, "Phone is not something we can access. What do we do? Get into the servers, get into the, <laughs> the, the place where I mean, his uh, his desktop that he has and whatnot." So it was very interesting. These are different interesting areas that will come about, uh, and I, I I believe my staff also. Enjoy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it sounds yeah. like an episode of CSI. You know some aspects of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was very interesting. Don't ever give your staff iPhones <laughs> because even if you retrieve them and they are part of investigation, you cannot crack the phone. <laughs> so yeah. on the on the flip side, if you're a regular person, get yourself an iPhone. <laughs> yes, definitely, because the security is it's really good, right? Yeah. Android phones, we can crack it anytime. No issue. Mm. But these Apple phones are just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Raymond, earlier you mentioned about how, you know, uh, one of the good things uh, you had is, is supportive parents who always said, you know, pursue yeah. what you love. Yes. How do you reflect on your childhood? Um, you know, now that you've already been working for many years, how were you mm-hmm. during your schooling days? Did you get good grades? And what were your interests and ambitions back then? Because uh, I'm curious because kids don't usually say, you know, I want to be a certified fraud exam and, and uh, things like that. I mean, to be honest with you, I I wasn't a bright kid <laughs> growing up. I mean, I'm, I'm in the average average cluster, say, right? right? So the B and Cs and whatnot. But um, I, I my interest grew as I entered university and whatnot. Yeah. Definitely my parents, my parents played, uh, played a huge role. They, by them giving me that leeway and telling me that it's up to you, right? What do you love? Pursue that and then you'll be able to get Right? No matter what. So, I mean, I, I didn't have those typical parents who says, you know, lawyer, engineer, uh, doctor, right? Those typical parents, I didn't have that. Right. And to be honest with you, today, I'm in a position where I'm able to provide for them. I'm okay. able to provide from, definitely for myself. And I will be giving my kids the same advice when I have kids. Hmm. I'll be giving them the same advice uh, that pursue what you love. No matter what it is, you can money. Not to monetize it, but you will be able to create a comfortable life only doing what you love, not doing something that people think will be the market demand and whatnot. Because you will learn that yourself as you go right. forward. Right? Because even for me, even in this particular area, I'm learning, I have to learn on my own. Like I said, my master's was in psychology. When I went to my, uh, sorry, my, my degree was in psychology. When I went to my master's uh, into economic crime management, I had to study accounting on my own. Right. I had to do uh, finance, whatnot, on my own. And it's because of the passion, it drove me toward understanding it further. Today, I can train accountants. I can train auditors into this particular area. 
right? So I'm able to speak the same lingo and all that comes through passion, comes through doing what you love. What does it take to sustain a career such as yours um, in Malaysia? Um, what are some of the challenges you faced and what what are the key qualities that one needs to sustain themselves in this particular career? Coming to that, uh, to be honest, Malaysia, the it's not issue. I won't say issue because many countries are like that, right? We are very reactive. We are not proactive. Right. So prevention comes last in our heads, no matter what, no matter which industry you're in. Right. So most of the time, when I get called for, for example, cybersecurity training, I mean, cyber fraud or either any fraud-related training, whatnot, you know what's my first question? What? It's not the fee, yeah? <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is basically what happened. Right. Because something would have happened that triggered this. And of course, you need me to sign an NDA, I don't mind, right? Non-disclosure, I don't mind. But tell me what exactly happened then I can figure out what the objectives of your training is and how to measure them. Because right. if not, it will be very tough for us. I know Malaysian companies, most Malaysian companies are very reactive in that sense. So we have to first gather what has gone wrong, look into that first, and then look to your overall picture, what is going on within different departments, how do I now make sure this does not happen again? How do I now make sure that such instances don't come about and you don't create losses and whatever? Right. So if, you know, some people might be listening to this and thinking, you know, I want to do what Raymond does one day, perhaps some university students or yeah. perhaps people who have already started working. What, uh, what is the, the, the sort of pathway towards doing what you do? What do you have to study and what do you have to keep in mind? To be honest with you, I agree. I have not stopped studying. I have not stopped studying in the sense where uh, I did my master's two weeks after my degree, straight away. Right. And then I did certifications. I did my certified fraud examiner certification. I did my certified anti-my-laundering certification. And today, I'm still studying. I'm still a student. I'm, I'm doing my DBA at the moment, my doctorate in business. Right. Which is, of course, going to be majoring in financial crime prevention as well. Mm. So so it's, it's the, the mindset that needs to change where you, after your degree, you stop studying. No. That can never happen. You will never go far having that mindset. You need to make sure you understand that you have to continuously have that growth, have continuously learn going forward. Things will change every day. Right? The one thing that even during my uh, DBA program now that's going on, uh, we are learning new things that are going on every day that sometimes the syllabus will change in between. Right? If mm-hmm. Now there's a new crisis. COVID has come in. Hey, now there's a new, uh, new financial crisis that might come about. There are recessions that are taking place. But these things happen overnight. You cannot stop learning as simple as that. You don't think that after degree you you will stop learning. You will reach a plateau where you will never grow if you have that mindset. How do you measure growth? There's two ways. So personal growth is one. Organizational growth is another, right? So uh, when I say organizational growth, uh, I won't say more revenue, but I believe... uh, Different revenue streams. Right. right. So if you have a variety of different services, products to offer, we grow further. We are moving towards, uh, if you move towards different jurisdictions, we are growing further. Revenue, of course, will increase in that sense. Mm-hmm. But if you talk about personal growth, for me, it's the changes I'm, I'm able to impact. I'm able to, I'm able to affect, which creates impact. Right. Right. So, even if it's my firm or even if it's part of TI in TI Malaysia, 
if I'm able to create a change, somehow days grow. <laughs> there right. are things that because once you create one, you create another. And 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 to be honest to you, I've continuously done what I can, and we have made changes. Right, we have made changes uh, towards the positive direction. Absolutely. And if going back again, organizational growth, like I said, is now differing revenue streams, and you know, being able to offer more, and knowing that your client, the organization in Malaysia, is also changing. So it comes back to change, no matter what. All right. Before we wrap this conversation up, you've said, um, you know, on this show that you love what you do. What does it feel like waking up every day knowing that you? Do, you're doing what you love. I think that there's a pros and cons to that. Ah, interesting. That today, you know why I say cons? Mm. Today, my, my work is not work because it's uh, it's has been incorporated in my lifestyle already, right. in, in my everyday life, right? Mm -hmm. So you can catch me uh, even after a night out with friends, I can come back and still do my work. Mm. So I can, I, I, can, I can do it at any time and it's not nine to five anymore. Right. There is pros and cons to that. You right. when you adopt such a lifestyle, it's incorporated. Mm -hmm. So so I, I like I said, uh, it's not nine to five anymore, it's any time. And the more you grind, the more you do what you do, the further you get. As simple as that. So for me in my in my head, it's just if I can get this done, I can do the next thing. If I can get this done, I can do like this never ending. Right? But you love what you're doing. Right. As simple as that. So time for family and whatnot. You got to manage it somehow, right? So for me, right. I'm still young, so I'm still able to, to, to manage it. But I don't know when I get older or what happens. But still, when it's incorporated in your lifestyle, there's no more time to fight. Simple as that. Whenever you can, you work on it. And that gives you longer vacations as well. So, <laughs> And on that note, Raymond, thank you so much for joining me today. That was Raymond Ram. He's a certified um, fraud examiner and a certified anti-money laundering specialist. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan and this has been Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.